I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. The Shadow. He was consumed by evil. For as long as you can remember, you've struggled against your own black heart. Shoot through him. Every man pays a price for redemption. I'm not looking for redemption. You have no choice. But I'll teach you to use your black shadow to fight evil. He became the shadow. If I didn't see anything, I swear. Dump him. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Who's there? Did you think you'd get away with it? Did you think I wouldn't know? Now, when the world is in danger, report. Police investigation of murder. Agent advises inquiry. Who knows what powers stir in the night? Whenever you did, it's in the past. Join me. Inside you beats a heart of darkness. I do what I do to fight back the evil inside me, but some part of it is still there, waiting. Genghis Khan conquered half of the world in his lifetime. I intend to finish the job. And when the adventure begins... Activate the bomb. Who knows where it will end? Alec Baldwin, John Lone, Penelope Ann Miller, and Tim Curry. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow. Oh boy, are we in for a treat tonight, question mark? This episode marks the return of our buddies over at the Franchise Killer podcast. Uh, they helped guide us through Super Mario Brothers and uh, what went on in the making of that semi-beloved cult classic. And tonight, we're doing a film so disastrously bad that while I'm sure one or two of you at home like it. You may even started listening to this show because, oh, oh my God, someone's talking about The Shadow at last. <laughs> may, you, you, might, you might like it. Uh, most of you won't have seen it, and the majority of listeners will be wondering, when we describe it, how the hell it even got made, which is why it's kind of perfect that we have you folks on as guests. So uh, to fill not only you listeners in on this one, but us on the sordid backstage goings-on, we have, once again, David Schmitzer. I dreamed I tore all the skin off my face and was somebody else underneath. <laughs> That's a thing that happens in the movie Poltergeist. Um, then, Irina Schmitzer. The shadow knows. <laughs> and Reese Payne. Hey, that's the US of A you're talking about, pal. God, when he said that. <laughs> I will simply America. say, the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Yeah, no. I used to get Keanu Reeves' voice. No, I was trying to do it as, as the shadow, but there may be some know, Keanu Reeves in there. He'd have been a good shadow. Okay, yeah. so a little perspective here. At the end of the 70s, Richard Donner's Superman suggested that good-hearted superheroes might be a popular thing moving forwards. Three sequels and a spin-off later, that would be uh, Supergirl. Uh, the Salkins and the Cannon Group had run that idea into the ground, culminating in the awful Captain America non-starter. I think that was the time when they were like, <laughs> let's just do away with good superheroes. Uh, because at the end of the 80s, Tim Burton's Batman made insane bank. And that told Hollywood two things. One, 
greenlight as many pulp heroes from the 1930s as they could so that the 12-year-old boys of the 90s could enjoy watching the action stars who had been enjoyed in the funny papers by these producers now in their 70s. So we got Dick Tracy and The Rocketeer and The Phantom and three Batman sequels which steered him back to the 1960s until audiences could no longer stand the levels of camp because number two was that bad boy anti-heroes equal big business. So The Punisher and Dark Man and The Crow and Bob Wire and The Mask and Judge Dredd and Steel and Spawn and eventually Blade. And they were right on the idea that people like anti-heroes. Joker made a billion dollars. But trying to sell 90s kids on the heroes of the Prohibition was quite a long shot, and it did not pay off in general. I think 1994's The Shadow is the perfect intersection of both of these assumptions, and it is directed by Russell Mulcahy of Highlander fame a crazed music video director who seems to have two volume levels. One is, whoa, what was that weird thing just there? And two is... There can be only one. It's just that the whole time. And then screaming. So let's start with a synopsis. Don't forget um, maniacal laughter. Well, I mean, I feel like the maniacal laughter could, can be, can, is somewhere, is the intersection, the bridge, if you will, between, wait a yeah. minute, what was that weird thing? And screaming. So, true, yeah, uh, true, <laughs> but let's start with a synopsis of 1994's The Shadow because nobody saw this film and we kind of need to fill in our listeners so that they know where they are. Although, no guarantees that they will by the time I get to the end of this one. My challenge is to somehow get to the end without laughing. <clears throat> After the First World War, billionaire Lamont Cranston moves to Tibet, where he makes a fortune in the opium trade. Then he meets the Dalai Lama, a boy with a man's voice and a magic talking knife. Then we get a scroll 12 minutes into the movie. Then we cut to New York City seven years later. Now Lamont Cranston is a billionaire in New York. It is the 1920s or the 1930s or the 1940s as the masked, hatted, cloaked superhero, The Shadow. And he teases criminals and laughs at them and shoots them. Uh, any man he saves, saves the life of, he makes them do favors for him. Like loads of favors, not like one favor, like from now on, you do all your favors for me. From now on, you work for me. And he starts to see a woman romantically. The last descendant of Genghis Khan shows up in town looking for Lamont Cranston. Shiwan Khan has the same powers of hypnotism, riches, and pomposity. He makes several men kill themselves. Side note, folks. We're going to be talking about suicide a lot in this film. They use it like a, a kid who's found his dad's gun. It's, it's, it's fairly easy to be triggered by all of this stuff, so I just want to warn you up ahead. There's a lot of suicide in this film. Specifically, very casually applied suicide in a children's film. The first main and meatiest question here, folks, for this, just for this whole podcast, is let us look at and talk about the baffling choices when it came to positioning our hero and protagonist 
Alec Baldwin's Lamont Cranston. And, and effectively, you, we can start at the beginning and work all the way through to the end, just in terms of what they decided to do with him. Because as far as I can tell, the first thing you see of him is maybe the least appealing way to see a hero ever. I, I am racking my brains. I think this might be the worst superhero ever, and it's definitely the worst way to see a superhero for the first time ever. Um, he's an opium in, drug lord. <laughs> he's an opium drug lord in the most stereotypical kind of Fu Manchu version of um, Orientalism. I believe We Hate Movies refer to it as the Big O, and I, I, I feel sure. like gonna, that, <laughs> that, that makes, that, that is a bit less icky. And so the first thing you see of him is these horrible long cocaine fingernails, which no, he's yikes. got, and he's kind of in an opium den, and he's, I mean, he's kind of there's a lot of intersection here with Batman Begins. It's a terrible Batman Begins. But imagine mm-hmm. if he was Ray Shal Ghoul at the beginning and he's like, ha ha ha, opium. Part of, <laughs> what I, part of what I couldn't figure out here is that the way he's positioned, like, the first two notes that I wrote down were, oh my god, the fingernails, and oh my god, the chest. <laughs> Oh, he is unnecessary. He has this sort of there's a there's a Russell Mulcahy shirt open, blowing in the breeze. Like there couldn't be more chest hair on screen if we tried. Yeah, he honestly, oh, he Austin to. Powers, yeah. and Lamont Cranston. Eat your heart out. And, and you wouldn't be able kind of, to eat your heart out. There'd be all that hair in well, the way. Yeah, true. He's obviously let himself go over the years, shall we say. And the hair is long and the fingernails are long. But it's not entirely apparent whether it's supposed to be in a kind of... He's vaguely, mysteriously and bizarrely like sultry and, and exotic and seductive. But he isn't because his hair is greasy and ratty. Grotty. Uh, we saw the aviator the other day. I thought this was an extended scene for that. <laughs> so is it, when you're a billionaire and you're going to be an opium drug lord, do you just is that what happens? You just let yourself go. All of a sudden, you get long hair. Oh yeah. Well, Sorry about it, I mean, that. it's it's the ultimate. Do not get high on your own supply, which oh. he seems to have ignored. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. So I mean. Uh, it's the first thing that happens is we actually meet um, uh, Al Leong and James Hong. Uh, uh, Al Leong was was Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure, and it almost right. feels like he'd he'd auditioned for the part of Khan in this, and they went no, but you can be this nobody in the opium den at the beginning. And that's all he got. He was also uh, in uh, uh, Die Hard. He's been in a whole bunch of movies. I think um, Big Trouble in Little China as well. Uh, oh, and okay. also starring James Hong, who may actually have gotten early on the, uh, the gig here. So uh, James Hong's an amazing actor. He's got this incredible presence and like the way of speaking. And mm-hmm. you, you want James Hong in your story. If you're going to be doing this kind of story, you want him there to kind of class the joint up. And then he gets shot in like six seconds, and it's Lamont Cranston who does it, and he's his buddy. He's just like, it's- oh, you, you know, I would never hurt you. <laughs> shoot through him, to, like shoots him, boss. It's straight out of Raiders, and then he shoots his friends, and it's like, this is our hero, ladies and gentlemen, as we hate movies say. Yeah, is there's, not, there's even- not nearly enough of this character reckoning with his past in this movie. They like try their best to do the legwork of like. Oh yeah, he's a troubled soul, and he's done all these terrible things. And when he was in Tibet or whatever, but 
I would question the use of the term seen... best there. Well, I think yeah. they, they vaguely try. But this is the problem, and this is how he's set up really, really badly. We never see any of this. Mm. They basically tell the audience, this guy is a bad dude. He's a scumbag, he has, but we're like, we believe you. He has <laughs> lots of stuff to, um, what's the word? Atone for? Atone for, yeah. thank you. But we don't. <laughs> We don't see any of that. It doesn't mean anything to us. So when he suddenly magically transformed to his, you know, slick 19... That's not being nice. That's just putting on a nice sweater. That was a line from South Park. Exactly. It's exactly right in this case. You cannot just put an opium drug lord in a suit and miraculously have him be redeemed. No, that's just someone who's good at blending in with high society. Yes. They also don't go into enough... The fact that he was like a World War One fighter pilot or whatever that he just was crashed into he to, was yeah. don't yeah, go like, into it enough. Did they mention it at all? <laughs> Where goes, were they fighting that he crashed into Tibet? <laughs> this goes back to like the original content. Like this uh, shadow character has so many aliases and so many different kind of backstories that they elected to not really give him one in this, I guess. And it makes it so much more confusing. So I'm just confusing. taking that from an outside no, no, source. Then. No, that's that's true, though. That's one iteration. But then, like, there's one where, oh, he just traveled through the Orient and learned hypnotism, and now he's a vigilante. And then there's <laughs> another where it, it is true he's a drug lord and then um, is captured by a priest and taught the secret the, ways. The tol- Tolka? Or is that the? Yeah, yeah. something The like Dalai that. Lama. The Tolka, exactly. that's the, yeah, that's the guy So who that he can it. essentially atone for all of these ill yeah. deeds. I, I did see that they used part of his alias and backstory from the pulp uh, novels, mm-hmm. and then they used the other half from the original radio program. Yeah. So what you're getting here, it almost feels like just a splicing of mm. a bunch of different kinds of nostalgia. And it doesn't really fit. So you don't really have a well-formed character to begin with. You see him as a bad dude. And then they just throw you text to cover up the actual part you would want to see. So I, I don't... And that <laughs> it's text so is confusing. the absolute bare minimum. Yeah. And it like fades out almost before you yeah. can even finish reading We had it. to stop <laughs> it and read it again just to make sure we understood what they were trying to say. It, it's like they didn't have the budget to show all of that we need yeah. to get to the rest of the story man but that's the thing like the, the, <laughs> you're absolutely right that is the part of the story that's emotionally driven that's him looking back on the shit he's done and going okay i'll learn karate and teach the the bad guys a lesson that's mm-hmm. and mind control don't forget that and mind control i mean it's the <laughs> raison d'etre of the shadow which means if you take it out there's no reason for this film to be, even exist it's just right. the aftermath and the action scenes Ugh. <laughs> And getting the girls and living a bougie life already. Yeah. I mean, he's 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 all the worst aspects of Bruce Wayne and none of the good ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, ha- Alec Baldwin was a handsome dude in the early nineties, yeah. and they had I, to seemingly work overtime to make him as obnoxious and odious as possible. Right. Yeah, well, I was... could legitimately see him playing a Bruce Wayne type. It's mm. just it is it is not dialed in properly here. Yeah, <laughs> there's also. A lot of yellow face in this. It's uh, the 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 beginning part. You're like, well, the, he, this is clearly he, he's gone wayward here. But just the way he's gone wayward is unnecessarily 
culturally insensitive. It's, it's right. what we said when we covered Temple of Doom. George was like, well, I liked these when I was a kid. And it's like, well, they were dated and old and shit then, and racist then. It's racist now. <laughs> it's racist now. It will be a lot more racist in 40 years and we'll call you on it. We but, had a similar conversation in that opening scene. I think Reese was like, well, that's cultural appropriation if I've ever seen it. And oh, I was yeah. like, well, I mean, maybe not because I didn't understand what his character was. I was like, well, maybe he's been living there for a long time and he's become part of the culture. And yeah. they're like, no, actually, he's a billionaire that just kind of landed there. And now he's an opium dealer. So, and that's another confusing point. If this priest was trying to get him to atone, wouldn't he want him to do it in the place that he had done wrong? Yes. No, he has to go to he has to go to New York, the pit of evil. Or <laughs> I, it's a, I mean, it's sure, they have some problems there, but why? Why go there? What what are you helping there? It's, why not stay <laughs> in Tibet? <laughs> there's beautiful women that he can seduce. <laughs> yeah, um, th- th- you're absolutely right on the whole New York thing. He doesn't seem to be helping much in any way. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to that in in due course because we we, right. we didn't we kind of glossed over the meeting the man boy uh, Dalai Lama. It's this this guy. <laughs> This this sort of youngish-looking uh, guy who has this big, deep voice. And he's got this knife that is straight out of the Mortal Kombat and maybe even Mortal Kombat Annihilation films. Right. Uh, there's going to be some repetition of what We Hate Movies said, but we would have come to the same conclusions uh, as well. Ultimately, the early 90s CG was terrible, and this was the CG being used for things that didn't even need to be used CG. Yeah, this, right. it's kind of funny when your main like CGI show-off moment is how well you've you've rendered this dagger that yeah. comes to life <laughs> ultimately do you know where i've seen something similar to this done better clash of the titans yeah. from 1980 oh yeah was that uh, like yeah. Ray Harryhausen? Ray Harryhausen. Oh, yeah. Little objects that get up and move around. Mm. And, yeah. and the owl. You, you zoom yep. in on them mm. so you can see them close up. It's not as if you need to... Like, at no point do you see the dagger pulling its little face um, from a distance with a, a whole human in shot. That never happens. It's always nope. zoomed in. That, that said, when you when I compared this to Mortal Kombat, which I believe was the same year, mm-hmm. uh, the CGI in this movie, I think, holds up slightly better. Like, I, th- I think there's Some actual scenes. more production. I don't know. Well, they definitely had a lot yeah. more invested. I mean, they had seven or over seven visual effects companies that were involved in this, all kind of like fighting for control over yeah. how to handle these CGI scenes. And, like, I don't know how they bungled this so badly <laughs> well it's so very is... inconsistent which is uh, that one's yeah. in line with that but at the same time like having multiple cg houses is standard for big productions because mm-hmm. you can't get it all done at once in in the space of a, a couple of years or so with one you know team unless your whole team is wet a workshop true so this scene is um in so many ways just very embarrassing to watch mm-hmm. and um one of them is the knife itself because that that is modeled after something that is real it is a ritual knife that was used for like a lot of buddhist and hindu type rituals but it was representative of healing yeah and so it it just reminds me of one of those scenarios where the movie production company was just like oh well we need something that's kind of like foreign and mystical oh you know what this is a thing let's turn it into a art piece for this film and then you know use it in a unique way when it's just kind of appropriating culture mm. and then 
giving it a Hollywood spin. Mm-hmm. In, and in it's very... nothing like its original use <laughs> yeah. at all. Well, no, that's, that's really. the bit that, that really bothers me about that kind of thing, because they look at it and they go, oh, that looks pretty cool. We'll use that. Right. But Google exactly. would tell you <laughs> what... It's no, original, Google no Google in 1994. 1994. Okay. It was just oh. Encyclopedia Britannica. Or just find somebody and ask them. Right. You saw this picture, one presumes, in a book of some description. Read the text they around were, it. They were super method. They only used the researching abilities that they would have had in the 20s or 30s or 40s. <laughs> It's never fully established when it is. I think it has to be at least after 1930 because uh, Empire State Building was built in 1931 and it features. It's got to be post-1933 because they are serving alcohol in the club and Prohibition ended in 1933. Mm. Uh, Yet a lot of the scenes look like both uh, Captain America, The First Avenger and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, both of which were set in the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and that's almost to its credit because it's like, oh, you're reminding me of good movies. Mm. It, it feels very pre-war, and it does have that. Um, there's a, there's almost a tone of the opening scene from Temple of Doom to it, right. especially when he goes into the club. A lot yeah. of the aesthetic, mm-hmm. which I have to say, the the scenery design and the the set design of the city and the club, the Cobalt Club in particular, mm. I think looks gorgeous as still frames. I was actually quite impressed by that. The colour design on the club in particular. They are, there's such attention to detail, down to the fact that the blue colour infuses things like the salt and pepper shakers on the, on the tables. Mm-hmm. The salt's white mm-hmm. and the pepper's blue. I think actually mo- most of the production design on this film is, is impressive. I probably think it's like the one shining thing about this movie that I can say like that was executed well yeah it like stops it, it, it from it being has a look and a style yeah because otherwise uh, if 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 everything in it was bad uh then right. then what you have is a nanar where in uh <laughs> the, not, not a single department was able to actually make something good um super mario brothers <laughs> <laughs> um you might be uh, intending to talk about this a, a bit later in which case by all means postpone the answer to this question but uh, mm-hmm. Do you guys know uh, how, like how much of the shadow material that they would have worked with was visual? Because it was originally radio serials, wasn't it? Right. There's um, we we can talk about it again later, but there are a lot of visual representations, and I think the shadow as a radio broadcast was originally coming from a magazine and they used the radio hour to promote the magazine but then it just kind of popularized after that okay so there's some visual representation but um it's not a whole lot he's he's kind of detailless well he has that red scarf a giant nose (laughs) and the fedora and those are like the the main things and i gotta say they got that spot on okay so a lot of the visuals this is this is kind of what i was driving at a lot of the visuals here would have been original that they developed for the film well i i do think the kind of prosthetic he wears when he becomes the shadow is kind of calling back to the original look of the shadow oh definitely uh that's that's mainly so just the, to kind of evoke that original look. The costume they're going with here is, I, I think, kind of pulled from, I, I don't want to say recent uh, magazines and pulp novels, but it was kind of a later iteration of his costume style. So I would say more in the comic book 
genre. That's kind of the look they were going for. It, it didn't change a whole lot from what it was described in the 30s and 40s. Hmm. Yeah. They kind of scored an own goal uh, with their the look of their character because, as you said, he has like a, a fake nose on, which makes yep. him not look like Alec Baldwin. And then when he speaks, his mouth doesn't move and it's all ADR, <laughs> so he doesn't sound like Alec Baldwin speaking. It's a, a weird way to detach yourself from the person you're seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. He's all swathed in black, he's wearing a mask, and he has that big hat. And he's also cruel to everyone and obsessed with one woman. What your hero is, is effectively the Phantom of the Opera. Yep, pretty yeah. much. He's big he on hypnotism. He's using this girl through her father or what someone is. This, it's, it's kind of polluted by Andrew Lloyd Webber's version of Phantom of the Opera. He treats the whole yeah. of New York like his own personal opera house. Yeah, and he's a selfish prick, just Damn, like the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> So for context, this clip is where a Chinese man has his feet in concrete and is about to be thrown over a bridge by a bunch of see? gangsters late at night. Don't talk. Uh, I'm telling you. <laughs> Dump him. No! No! I hate him. Ah! 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 <laughs> the Christ was dead. Who's there? Show yourself, fella. You murdered a policeman, Duke. Who said that? Duke! Who said that? Shut up! The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. I don't like this. This stinks. Let's get the hell out of here. Shut your hole, Maxie. Did you think you'd get away with it? Come on, Duke! (laughs) Did you think I wouldn't know? So after an extended bit where the shadow doesn't get shot by these gangsters with Tommy guns because he's like smoke and their bullets go right through him and he convinces all the gangsters to turn themselves into the police and they're just standing in corporeal form and looking at them hard makes them go, we're out of here, scram! He walks over to the poor Chinese man, feet still in concrete, pulls out his two guns and the guy's like, no, please don't shoot me! And then he's like, pow, 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 pow! and unloads two clips into this guy's feet which are then freed of the concrete I'm just that good at shooting alright Yeah, that's when we get back to uh, New York. But just before we leave uh, Tibet, this knife, it isn't just a knife that, that has a face that goes, ah, da, 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 da. It's, it flies all over the place. One of his skills is the telekinetic power to make this knife fly all over the place. And that comes in very handy at the end. 
where um, he completes his narrative arc by <laughs> which allows him to use the knife uh, offensively <laughs> himself. Sorry, well, what was that? The the what what did he actually do to what what did he overcome about himself or what did he confront about himself or was <laughs> which is literally you saw the matrix. Fucking nothing happens and he's like, "No, I win because reasons." <laughs> So Wasn't it like he just let go? He just stopped thinking? He's no. like, oh, I just gotta stop. That's the thing. There's no clear message here. You don't really know what's happening and why it's happening. It he just has is. no and whatsoever. <laughs> and I think there's, like, even at the end, we were trying to figure out what exactly, like, how does the knife work? Because in the beginning, it does establish that, oh, there's a great level of power to be able to wield this knife. And but also an element of being able to let go and not force your way in into using it i and but it it's never quite clear like how how did if that work if you want to use it you can't use it and why is this the thing that he needs to work on throughout yeah. the whole story he it, pretty much when just we goes, never see it i figured it out and that's yeah. it <laughs> using it to kill people there's a degree of force involved you know what i should just have used <laughs> my guns i've got guns <laughs> It, I keep doing this voice. Um, when We Hate Movies covered it, it was pre-Lego Batman, but it now feels like they were doing the Lego Batman voice because he is he is this caricature of Batman who is right. a self-obsessed prick, but in this kind of comedically exaggerated fashion. So when you watch it, everything's about Lamont Cranston. <laughs> that means Michael Keaton has done a version of Batman. Mm -hmm. Alec Baldwin has done a version of Batman. Mm -hmm. We just need Gina Davis to do a version of Batman and we've got a Beetlejuice yeah. 3 for 3. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. imagine her as Batman. Oh my God. <laughs> I just find it funny that Alec Baldwin, just his voice is already a Batman voice. Yeah. Like It's like, oh, so I want you to do more of that, like... Harsher. The double Alec Baldwin. Harsher. Where are the drugs? Where are the drugs? I need the opium. <laughs> but the, but his power is laughing. So so yeah. when he intimidates villains, like they hear first <laughs> And so we the audience are like, what's going on here? Like, that's his thing. And then they're like, oh, I'm getting the jitters here, boss. Who's that laughing? And then the Phantom of the Opera turns up and shoots everyone. Yes, and nothing about his vocal performance as the character would uh, it makes room for a laugh afterwards. It just sounds so out of place. It's like you... He, he gave the line, and it's like, okay, now he's just laughing because I guess that's how yeah. it was in the show. He's yeah. not a happy <laughs> man. really funny. He's not... You know how Tony Stark makes cutting jibes at his enemies at their expense and just compares them to pop culture references because it amuses him. I don't get what amuses the shadow. Like, there's there's yeah, no reason why laughing. he should be laughing. Yeah. Intimidation, I guess. Mm. I don't know. We did <laughs> listen to the original radio spot on the way over here, or one of them, mm -hmm. and that is, ex they, they nailed the laugh. It oh, sounds exactly my. like those 1930s radio And I'm shows. sure they did. It just doesn't it's, make any sense within no. the context of this it movie. It makes sense in the radio <laughs> spot. I have no problem with Easter eggs in films. Like the, Those are fun to look out for. But yeah. it, the level at which they incorporate it just makes it plain confusing. So it's a load-bearing Easter egg. Yeah. And, and 
most of the people watching this film aren't going to be, oh yeah, I remember The Shadow back when I was a kid. Yeah, because they're not 90 the years radio, old. You know? <laughs> or oh, a contract exactly player like from that. Vegas. Yeah. No, this is a completely <laughs> different medium and they're trying to use what radio relies upon to inform the audience and putting it into a film and it just doesn't work. The language is different. Yeah. So, uh, we need more transatlantic accents. Yeah, there's a there's a vaudeville theater in New York in the um uh, the, the set dressing. And it's like if you remember vaudeville, this is going to be right up your alley. If you yeah. don't remember vaudeville, it's probably oh, no. going to feel a little bit antiquated. Did you struggle to get this DVD in your machine? Mm. Then this film is for you. Side note. <laughs> Our child is really into 1920s stuff at the moment. Like they love like the 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 fedora hats and and the music and they the dance and all totally that stuff. They also totally went for the aesthetics yeah. in the club. Uh, but they said everything else apart from the aesthetic is terrible. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it too. I like the big band sound. The, the big band. Yes, oh. it, it gets a big jazz. That was quite 90s as well. That that sort of fit with oh, the 90s big band it. revival. Yeah, yeah, I thought about the mask when I saw that. It was like. Yeah, it, it had that vibe for me. Basically, the mask, which came out the same year, is this done for comedy well. Right. Like, he's a laughing yeah. asshole, but that's the gag. Well, they overlapped yeah, but... at the cinema. Oh, seriously? I believe that the mask was released towards the end of The Shadow's run. God, it would be almost embarrassing to see how many people were like, The Shadow? No, The Mask. Let's yeah, go the, back the and see the mask again. While, while the shadow is not. Also, yeah. the mask is about the shadow, the Jungian shadow. Uh, very good, very yep. good. Yep. Um, oh, uh, and a slight correction from earlier: Mortal Kombat was in fact ninety-five, so that meant that Paul oh, W. S. Sorry. Anderson watched the effects in the shadow and went, "We can do it better." They <laughs> couldn't. <laughs> they did have half the budget, but yeah, they, it was. They should never oh, have had reptile budget on, on that movie. Thing. I'll just say that. Hold on. Uh, what was the budget? The twenty million for Mortal Kombat, forty million for this. Forty yeah. million dollars on this. Thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't expensive. see where that all went. Jeez, and it that made forty-eight explosion. million. That one really good explosion. No, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll stand up for this. <laughs> yeah, set for a second. I think, the, I think the costumes are mm. good. I think the sets are good for yeah. the mm-hmm. most part, except for like some of the backdrops. You like the painting backdrops? Yeah, it's so obvious. But how how expensive was Alec Baldwin to be in this? I don't know. Probably a lot. He was pretty big. Because he this was point. starting to get really big. No, he was hot off Red October, yeah. a hunt for Red October, mm. and uh, oh man, what was the other one? I can't remember the other one. He was in some other stuff though. He was pretty big at this point. This is still when he was like kind of leading man status. Mm-hmm. It was is towards the end of that. Yeah, but... The other Baldwin's kind of surfed in on his fame, didn't they? Yeah, pretty exactly. much. Mm. So he he probably cost a, a, a yeah, good a good penny. A good penny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, we're now in New York City, and um, effectively all we do is sit watching Lamont Cranston whining and dining and, and drinking martinis at the Coco Bongo Club. Sorry, the Cobalt Club. Cobalt <laughs> Again, it's intersecting with the mask. It feels like you could have taken these sets and done a really serviceable Rocketeer sequel mm-hmm. that everyone would, would have preferred. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, uh, he's... Uh, we also get to see him kind of... Making this guy drive him around. The the guy's kind of is Peter Boyle, isn't it? Is uh, right. Young Frankenstein? He was the the monster in Young Frankenstein, uh, and he's kind of like, yeah, sure, boss, and like he seems to be quite, you know, happy with it. But ultimately, 
uh, again, we hate movies point this out. He has a massive mansion, but he also has a sanctum all the way across town. <laughs> and he keeps making this guy drive him there. And he doesn't, like, he's got a butler, but his butler is not an Alfred. He's in no way interested in his stuff. So he's kind of subcontracting these poor saps that he's saved the life of and, 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 uh, and, and utilizing their lives. Yeah, for eternal servitude. <laughs> Sounds like a great superhero. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that disturbed me the most about this movie. Is like he's, he's supposed to be this reformed kind of hero now, yeah. but he's still kind of a villain. And I think like, what it, it's almost like what they're trying to do is like, oh, the shadow has eyes everywhere. He has this presence in the city, and nobody knows because they're average Joes. And I think what uh, an example of literary work that does it better is Sherlock Holmes, where he would basically get a lot of the children of the streets, urchins and stuff to like kind of be his eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, everywhere. And I feel like they're trying to kind of go for that detective noir a little bit, but then also trying to merge it with an action superhero fantasy. And it's just, my brain can't handle it. You have to throw like morals out the window. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's a weird mash. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It has no ethical backbone. There is no sense of this is right and this is wrong. It just seems like he's kind of a, um, a rich punisher. Because he's just a guy with guns who who likes to shoot criminals. That's all. Mm. And and, at the very beginning, there's this one uh, guy of uh, Asian descent. uh, Is he he Ron? Roy? Roy. Roy. uh, Who Mm -hmm. uh, is is being given, uh, like, concrete shoes. And he's going to be thrown into the river by a bunch of gangsters (laughs) on a bridge. (laughs) And then the shadow turns up, does the whole laughing thing, then shoots all the guys with his double-fisted pistols. And then he stands over Roy... And he's got these, like, his eyes are like, ha-ha! Look, and you're like, oh my god, he's going to kill him! And then he starts firing away with these things, and all I could think of was, keep the change, you filthy animal! That guy yeah. threw fucking home alone! Ah, ha, ha, ha. And he's firing off the guns, and as a kid, you must be like, is he shooting that guy? And then it turns out he just shot the cement off his feet but uh, like these are not surgical tools you got to shoot <laughs> cement off I was <laughs> and, thinking and, to myself how in the hey, world some of those bullets went in are those <laughs> those things coming off like you'd need to be a doctor with a very small pneumatic drill yeah. and a very steady hand I am weirdly reminded of you know remember Peter Jackson's King Kong they perform like mm. there's a giant bug on you I'm just going to shoot it off with my Tommy gun these are yeah. not very <laughs> these accurate these are notoriously guns. imprecise Weapons. Yeah, I, mean, I would love to see them redo that, but then when it cuts to his feet to see them free, you just see like nubs blood. Oh. Where it's like, oh, you just whoops. shoot through the bones. So overdid oh, that one. <laughs> Sorry about I was, that. Con- I was conflicted with this movie because there's these scenes that are just utterly ridiculous. But this this film is based off of one of the most pulpy, you know, properties. Yeah, and it, that is like that is pulp yeah. to the core. Like, yeah, of course this guy's gonna shoot a block of concrete and his feet are perfectly intact that's like that's kind of the vibe this movie's going for but then there's other movie other parts in this movie where it's like asking you to take it a little more seriously and i'm like no you you can't have you can't have your cake and eat it too it's like either completely commit to the pulp or don't yeah (laughs) it doesn't help that we've been re-watching all of batman the animated series for the past few months as as, uh, something we've been doing for the discord (laughs) and it's been such phenomenal i've seen episodes i've never seen before it is a really great show and then you watch the shadow and you're like 
you guys had a couple of years of watching this animated series to just hone your craft and deliver a really good noir. And, and this million is what dollars. you came up with. <laughs> Fuck you! Sorry, it's it's real. Like it is rare. Like sometimes you'll see something and you're like, oh, this is really silly. And sometimes you'll watch something and go, this is just so stupid. This is both. <laughs> this is both silly and stupid. Yep. Yep. Just out of if interest. If only we could have gotten Sam Raimi. Yeah. Oh, oh! Like he was on Darkman duty, but imagine giving him this budget. Well, you know that he was originally... He was trying to get this movie. Yeah, he did Darkman because of uh, not getting this. Yeah, he couldn't get the rights to this movie, did that movie, which is very similar, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2006, Sam Raimi actually got the rights to the movie and had a plan for making it, sat on it for a long time. 2012, people were like, hey, are you doing something with the shadow? It's like, uh, I don't know, I can't get a good script. And that was it. That's the last I remember you know, oh, hearing about yeah. it. Yeah, Darkman was only $14 million. That's a considerable amount less. And it made the same $48 million. So effectively, it made its money back. And it's mm-hmm. a good movie. Yeah. Um, it made its money and the Shadow's money back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, like, like I said, you've got Lamont Cranston. Oh, yeah, here's the thing. After he shoots these, these concrete shoes off the guy, he's like, now I own you, basically. It's like, oh my God, this is like, like just the optics of that. You know, yeah. I because you've just come away from an opium den treating Asian people like absolute shit. And now yeah. your first person you're going to save is someone who's like, rather than up to your feet. Now off you go. Like live your life. Go, go no, be no. free. Now he's like, you're no. my servant. Now, now you're my servant forever until the day you die. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, this, this, this is movie the worst is the, the story of two villains. Uh, who's worse? I don't know. You, you decide. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. There was a t- you know when he meets uh, Khan in a, in a Chinese restaurant and Khan's just stuffing his face. Then he goes, <clears throat> sorry, I'm gonna rot. How's it going, the shadow? And he looks like Hans Gruber. He's like, he's got a good suit yeah. on. And he's like, sort of, yeah, sit down. We'll have a chat. We'll do that that scene from Heat. Should we do that? And Lamont's like, uh, no. I don't think there's going to be anything like that script coming out of my mouth, buddy. That's when he's, he says, that's the US of A you're talking about. Oh, my God. He's such uh, an John, John Lone, by the way, who, who plays Shiwan uh, Khan, I believe. Shao Khan. Uh, he knows what type of movie he's in. Alec oh, Baldwin yes. does yeah. not. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, he, like, he's camping up. Baldwin just seems to be like, so I'm going to be a sex symbol, right? <laughs> then he, yeah, like, pretty much. Behaves like an enormous pig and seems to assume that he'll continue to be a sex symbol at this point. This might, in fact, have killed the chances of being a sex symbol. Quite possibly. Also the fact that Billy Baldwin was cuter. Mm. And was attracting attention. <laughs> yeah, this is before Stephen Baldwin became a massive trumper, of course. Well, yes. Yeah. Okay, so um, <laughs> he meets uh, Margot, played by Penelope Ann Miller. I haven't named her up until now. Uh, another question, we can make this a sort of a sub-question, if we will, before we move on to Khan and, 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 and his motivations. But her character is a little thin. and I think the, the, the plot... For, I mean, the, the development of her is she goes from not wanting to jump the bones of Alec Baldwin to wanting to jump the bones of a Alec Baldwin. A lot twist. Yes. Yeah. Which, that's uh, <laughs> that's which, her character arc as there. arcs go, is fairly, um, uh, fairly small. That's a Bond <laughs> <Yes>. girl. <laughs> yeah. And she's... And she, right. Penelope Ann Miller's performance here with the material that she has, which is nothing, mm. 
is actually not too terrible. She is mm-hmm. quirky. She is cheeky in the right places. Her delivery is pretty good. She could really she, wear a dress. She could really wear a dress. Mm-hmm. Her costumes are fantastic. She looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And when they give her the very occasional humorous line that she gets, she does play it mm. and it lands. And also, that's... she's a good actress. She was great in Carlito's Way. She was compelling mm-hmm. in The Relic, which no one's ever seen. It's mm. kind of like a creature feature from 97. That yeah. was fun. But, I mean, ultimately, if they wanted to and I know they didn't, but if they'd wanted to kind of flesh out her character a little bit more, there's all sorts of elements that they could have put in. But I would say Mm -hmm. the most straightforward would be Ian McKellen is her dad Mm -hmm. and is a technical genius. Oh, remember the time I could play people's dads. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to great-grandfathers. Great-grandfather, cheeky young girl. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, He's a treasure. I, I adore about. him. Carry on. Um, yeah. So just just have her with the same costumes and the same uh, type of character, mm. but have her have learned some of the technical stuff from her father. Mm. So that right. scene where they have to disable the bomb, maybe she's she not does. Just yeah. ballast. Yeah, I he even yep. disarms. Like she technically she's does disarm the bomb. She's getting in there. Apparently knowing nothing about it. The gag with him, gag in inverted commas, is that he appears to be colorblind. He goes to cut the green wire, but actually cuts the red wire, and she yep. yanks the red one, the, the green one out herself, and thus disarms the bomb. He's like, I need to remember that. How do you, how do you remember that? He designed I, the bomb. He's the one who put the green and red yeah, wires in. Just write the word green on it, just in case you need to confuse well, it. Well, then if he's colorblind then couldn't it be possible that he got the wrong wire in the wrong area too to begin mm. with mm. so well, I, don't know. I don't know yeah the, the <laughs> but, red wire is the green wire to him the way he set it up but it feels yeah, like he'd a, just have different types gag. of wire with different stripes on them to tell him what the wires were yeah under those circumstances. pretty much yeah, doesn't uh, stand up to much questioning. Um, but, uh, which is what they do these days to compensate for colorblind electricians. Yeah, I think this might be my least favorite Ian McKellen performance. Oh, uh, he is an amazing performer. I love Ian McKellen, mm. but what the hell is he doing in this movie? He's got nothing. I, it it to feels do. like he regretted it as soon as he agreed to it. Like yeah. he's just like, well, I'm gonna play this scientist who's like I wonder how many brilliant people spheres. joined this movie because Ian McKellen agreed. Because I know Tim Curry was one of the people who joined this yeah, movie. Yeah, Tim Curry only that. joined because of Ian McKellen, yeah. yeah. There is a point in this movie where Tim Curry just gives up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to it eventually, but uh, I think you folks could probably tell the bit where it's like, he's just, oh, fuck this, I'm going to do it my way. Yep. <laughs> Penelope Anna Miller does get one scene where she's uh, she gets caught. There's this smoking billboard... That the calls to first Ian McKellen and then to her. So it's this sort of like this smoking dude with this sort of ho 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 mouth going, yep. Come, come to me. And it's it's Khan hypnotizing them from a distance by means unknown. And then he gets Penelope Ann Miller around, Margot, and, and then gives her one gun with one bullet in it and says, Go and kill Lamont Cranston. And she goes plan. She goes to his house, lets herself in. Goes up to the penthouse, looks through a door, sees Lamont Cranston sitting there in the mirror, shoots the mirror, and then walks into the room pointing the now empty gun at the mirror. And Lamont Cranston, who was sitting at the other side of the room, sort of gets up and goes, you stupid head. And then wanders over to her and snaps her out of her trance. And then she's like, oh, oh, Lamont Cranston. Oh, oh, I don't know what was going on. What am I doing here? 
<sighs> and that's about it. It's rough. It's 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 stupid. I mean, I, I, it's I think Khan was trying to get Lamont to kill her or something. Yeah. No, yeah, well, that, that was yeah after the fact. The that. Then give her yeah. a revolver so, or a knife. Is... Just say, don't stop poking until he stops moving. This is an issue you're picking up on with a film where it's like barely, very poorly veiled attempts to reveal he's the shadow. Like I think this was all just because they wanted a moment where Margot finds out, oh, I am the shadow. And she's like, I'm not afraid of you, even if you're evil. You know, I love you. He is and evil. it's it's just a very, very stupid way to do it. Like that, oh yeah, send her to kill him and you know, he doesn't get killed because of a mirror. Yeah. Magic tricks. I mean, he could just so, have said to his Alfred, you let Margot into the shadow cave. I mean, I know it was across town and I wasn't there, but uh, still very disorganized. If he's anything like Batman, you know, he tells everyone he sleeps with that he's the shadow. Yeah, I'm the oh, shadow. Yeah. Oh, do you, do you see this on my chin? It's five o'clock. Huh? Like, it's five o'clock? No, it's it's five o'clock. Like, um, you gotta be going? <laughs> he's just yeah he's uh, he's one of those heroes and by which we mean villains I, who said that this is a film about two villains i did you're absolutely yeah. right yeah <laughs> that's very it's just who, who's worse that's the that's the dilemma i'm going through in my head because yeah. okay we mentioned the hypnotism it would appear that both khan and the shadow have the ability to hypnotize people immediately and very powerfully. And they mm -hmm. both use this to induce people to kill themselves. And it's, yep. uh, it's used really haphazardly. The first time uh, Khan meets a security guard, he's like, shoot yourself. And then the security guard does. Then he wanders out into the street, takes a taxi, and then the taxi driver starts writing down like his fare and then he's like kill yourself to the taxi driver and then later on he's standing atop the Empire State Building and Ian McKellen says very loudly yes the bomb that we're making will definitely destroy all of this and then a <laughs> sailor walks past them and says haha nice outfit and Khan goes oh really kill yourself and he gets this poor <laughs> sailor to just jump over the railings going I don't know what I'm doing and then it's Again, We Hate Movies pointed this out. It's played like a joke. He plummets yep. from the top of the Empire State Building, bashes onto the side, and then it cuts to Lamont Cranston in the street going, tut tut, it looks like rain. Or something <laughs> to that effect. It's a, yeah, it's this fun, hilarious... I don't want to say hilarious, but it's just this seamless transition. You're seeing this CGI body just cascade down Empire State Building, and then it just cuts to the crosswalk, and you're, oh, just a <laughs> Lamont having an... Having a conversation. It made me With think Margo. of Titanic when it falls yep. when that person falls the propeller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but imagine if they did that and then they cut to something else, like somebody on a boat in the water. It's like, huh, the weather's not great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> lots of yeah, lots of weird suicide stuff in this movie. I still think that bit in Titanic's a little misjudged because everyone in every audience I've ever seen it with has just gone, ooh, like it's just it's yep. one extra bit of like there's enough tragedy going on. You don't have to make everyone go, ooh, I bet that hurt. Add insult to injury at that point. No, that that's when it was just being a little exploitative of the the, the shock of yeah. the Titanic. But, but clearly James uh, Cameron watched this and went, aha, I'll use that yeah, at the most inappropriate my moment. <laughs> my inspiration for Titanic? The shadow. <laughs> 
but yeah, like, it, it would it would be understandable if the shadow was appalled at uh, at Khan's usage of this, but he fucking uses it himself. And yeah. remember when we mentioned Tim Curry? He turns up in this movie around about the same time as uh, uh, Ian McKellen and just seems to be have the hots for Margot in a kind of Jafar-like way. And then he yeah. just steps out of the movie for one and a half acts. Through a window. Yep. It's Yeah, where did he go? I was the- like... <laughs> Working on beryllium spheres. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's where he went. Which is obviously something from... Uh, uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. I said that. that. I, like, I said that. Yes. <sighs> I, I just so. love if you're watching Galaxy Quest and he's in the background working on the beryllium sphere. Like, <laughs> ah, sorry, I had to step away it. for a second. <laughs> that's but where he went. Yeah. In between, there's one other moment when Tim Curry turns up. The shadow lures him to this giant out of town tank. And then Tim Curry sort of steps inside and it's this enclosed area and he looks around and he hears laughing. And then, then Tim Curry goes, I've got a better idea. And then leaves the tank. Like he, he shoots water tanks around it and then leaves. And the shadow is stuck inside the tank that he was trying to lure Tim Curry into a trap with and is thus trapped in his own trap. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that happen before. That, hey, that's the uh... dumbest hero I've ever seen. Hey, at least you know, Mar- Margo's given something to do there. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, Margo, I need you to come across town and get me out of this trap I bungled <laughs> myself into. <laughs> Margo! Margo! How do you know that? Man? That Even that doesn't have the benefit of being even vaguely original because it's Luke calling for Leia. Yeah? Yep. Oh my god, you're right. It's Empire. So Margot's yep. just at, at the office wherever she works and she's like, no, oh. no, no. She's at the library. She's doing research. Ah, him, there you go. She? About as much research as they were able to do in the 1920s or 30s or 40s. She's, she's investigating something for him. Anyway. Yeah, possibly Khan and Beryllium Spheres. And then she's like, huh, it feels like the shadow needs me. And then she goes to exactly where she needs to uh, in the amount of time it takes for this thing to fill up. And then she lets the shadow out. Mm. And that's basically all she's and useful for. Opening a door. We see, by the way, that the end result of this psychic ability that Margot has, which is probably the most interesting thing about her, is just going to be a shortcut for the shadow to call on her when he wants her to go and do something for him. So he hasn't even got to send one of those mysterious little notes for her. All he has to do is psychically connect. Another one for my collection. Cranston, I am in the bath. Go away. Some habits are too hard to break. Peter Boyle has to actually break off dinner with his wife to go pick up Cranston. Oh, man. Put my food in the oven, honey. I gotta go pick up Lamont. (laughs) You're a billionaire. Buy a chauffeur. She she refers to it as a bowling... uh, What is it? He's like part of a bowling group. That's his excuse. Mm -hmm. Like It's like, oh, yeah, it's just the bowling Bowling, um, buddies or whatever calling (laughs) me again. I want a divorce, Peter Boyle. I understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you leaving at 3 a.m.? Gotta go bowling. Bowling. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just have to bring this up because we just saw it on the screen in the background, but when it shows the shadow falling off of a building to kill one of the henchmen or whatever, and he, they land on a gargoyle and he dies, mm-hmm. and then he goes, next time I'll let you be on top. Oh, God, oh that's my that God, I forgot about that what? part. He jumps out of a building, crushes a man under his immense body, and then says, next time I'll let you be on top. A sex yep. thing yep. to this yep, now yep. dead man. You just needed it. You have to have uh. it. Peter Boyle, st- 
come across town. I just had a really weird dream. I've got to tell you about an excruciating <laughs> detail. <laughs> Could you tell me over the phone? No, Mama. it's got to be now. It's got to be in person. And, and I think we kind of skipped over it, but did y'all find it weird just how much Margot was lusting after uh, Cranston? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, I did. Like it, when she wakes up and she's like, I had a dream. I was naked oh on my a beach. God. And like she starts stroking herself. And I'm like, I got no. kids here. But yeah. I will I will say the one moment of comedy that actually lands in this movie is his line after that where he's like, I dreamed I tore my skin off my face and was somebody else underneath. Like I was like, okay, that was kind of that was it's, kind of. It's funny. one of those moments where it comes across as comedic, but I don't know if Alec Baldwin knew it was supposed Maybe to be not. comedic. Well, like it was... he, he I, it's almost like they were trying to go for, yeah, your privileged life, Margot. You you just live a happy, you know, nightmare free life, and I'm just a tormented soul. You know, like I dream about ripping my face off. <laughs> Cool, cool dream effect, though. I do like the moment where he's like reaching under his skin. Oh, that was that was unsettling. Pulls the mask off. And As I said earlier, it, that's totally straight out of Poltergeist. Like they right. they, went, they put less meat into it, but it's the same right. principle. And, and only but under was he underneath? He was calm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. What do they mean yeah, by so that? You and I, I are think... two sides of the same coin. Yeah, that's both yeah, evil. supposed to be his inner conflict where he's ha, like, con. Oh, uh, yeah, ha. I but, am con. Uh, it is me. Like, they're just kind of this mirroring uh, character. Like, uh, mirror. How, yeah, how different. It's Am like I? this director was using this movie to repurpose Highlander a little bit because mm. there are so many elements where it, these two beings that I, I, I start ground, to kind Highlander. of understand that. Um, Cranston is an older soul. You know, he keeps referencing him as being like, no, you're that um, great guy from years and years ago. Yeah. You're someone else. There is you're a dream like flashback to him apparently being a Mongol warrior or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's almost like possessed or the reincarnation, I guess, but that's not clarified either. But that's, I mean, like, if he's supposed to be the Mongol warrior, we are straying into Cloud Atlas yellow face territory. Yeah. yeah. Here mm-hmm. is an interpretation on the I pull off my face and I am Khan underneath. Only he nowhere came... near as good as the Wachowskis could ever be. Well, indeed. <laughs> he came to New York ostensibly to protect New York from organised crime. a bang-up job there. And ones. if we we'll make the assumption that this is the early 30s, Prohibition has recently finished. Oh, you did some the research organized... on... Well, yeah. I, was, I was just... All I was checking, really, was the date because I'd... Right. Here's the thing about Prohibition. I had always assumed that Prohibition kicked in in the early 30s because mm-hmm. everybody was getting drunk because of the Depression. And mm. so it was brought in as a like a, a health measure, as a preventative to try and stop everybody drinking themselves to death because the economy was tanking. But no. <laughs> 1920 to 1933, Mm -hmm. and it was brought in for mainly ideological reasons. They just happened to have a batch of people with Puritan outlooks in the government, and they didn't like the idea of people drinking alcohol. Pretty much. So that Which was paved the way for organised crime because bootleggers but effectively were able to yeah, make so, alcohol that everyone wanted. So you get an entire decade of of uh, crime gangs making a fortune over the alcohol that people, generally speaking, can't buy legally. Mm. And when that all got taken away, they were really pissed off because a lot of their <laughs> um, income streams had just completely dissolved. Yeah. So they so, were like, well, let's get into drugs then. So oh, fantastic. Now America has a serious <laughs> drug problem. 
<laughs> but, but anyway, Thank you, so, Puritans. You best own goal in all history. So if we assume that this is kind of immediately post-prohibition, it does make sense that Cranston would go, well, I'm going to go to New York and, and sort of deal with voice. New York's. I'm going to go to New York <laughs> and, and deal with New York's organised crime problem. He did not deal with New York's organised crime problem. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the, the main threat to New York throughout this particular film is Khan, and Khan comes to New York following Lamont, Lamont Cranston. He wouldn't be there if Lamont Cranston hadn't come to New yeah. York. And as we said earlier, Khan's plan appears to be he just wants to blow up. Yeah. He wants to blow yeah. up himself, his building. He does a thing where he makes a building disappear so everyone's looking at a it's vacant not, lot, but there's a, a real not, building there. A, it's not very inventive, and B, what exactly does it achieve? What are your goals here, Khan? What are you aiming for? Uh, Peter Boyle, come over. Yeah. There's no a spider in the bath. Anyway. <laughs> but, but yeah, so to kind of loop back around to what I started talking about originally, it is possible that you could develop that theme of him being Khan underneath in the sense of, if I wasn't here, Khan wouldn't be here either. Mm. Right. How mm. do you protect New York, Lamont Cranston? Leave. Leave. <laughs> Please leave. Kill yourself. <laughs> but I mean, they did it with everybody else. Yeah, pretty much. At, at the end, I mean, we could pretty much just like finish this and then get to the, the how of, of how this happened. But right. after Margot and he have done the horizontal shuffle, they kind of swiftly move it to the end where, oh, okay, Tim Curry comes back in, and as Lamont Cranston... Like, you know those bits in superhero movies where the hero is beaten and feels like, I, I can never get past this thing, and I need to, like, confront something of myself? And I think that the closest thing there really is just him, like, tearing off his own face. He never really gets mm -mm. down on himself. He never feels like, I can't do this. And we never, ever... There's no pain in this man at all no. he doesn't regret his past actions he's a smug turd throughout yeah he goes through some like physical trials where it's like oh i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get out of this but you <laughs> never see how it it you know i think his biggest struggle was the dagger that was it yeah, yeah. Well, so and the, the nearly drowning <laughs> moment but yeah like, but Margot basically rocks. fixed that. Just he used his psychic power, and Margot came and opened the door for him from the yeah. outside, which he'd have been able to do if he could teleport. Oh, yeah. He had bullet holes to get oxygen from. So I love it when he pokes his yeah, little finger through that. <laughs> just, like, just little finger poking out. But anyway, so Tim Curry, uh, uh, <laughs> rather than paying for a giant load of rather than getting on the phone to the henchman agent if you've listened to our batman shows from way back in 2012 you'll remember the henchman agent rather than like putting all of his money into that um khan has basically bought a wild wild west house and he's got one henchman that's tim curry he just gives him a tommy gun and says go and kill the shadow off you go and the, tim curry's like are you sure master and he's like yeah off you go and so Tim Curry goes into this empty ballroom and just starts firing whilst screaming and cackling madly. And then the shadow's like, hey, how about you jump out the window? And Tim Curry goes, righto, sir, and then leaps to his death and then smashes idea. into a coffee table dead. I love the part when he just starts kind of frothing from the mouth. He and I'm like, that, that just feels like someone's actual experience going through this movie where you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is my final scene. I'm just gonna let loose in every way possible. Yeah. 
It's it's just it, that is Tim Curry having an existential crisis, going, "Oh God, I'm not going to be doing this forever, am I? I just did Clue." Did you think you'd never see me again, Claymore? <laughs> I'm right here. Then three things happen. One, the shadow turns up. Two, Tim Curry starts laughing like the Joker, whom he almost played, but they went with Mark Hamill instead. And three, Tim Curry runs out of the room and throws himself out of a window. (laughs) You're a fool, Claymore. Get out of my sight! There's your exit, Claymore. (laughs) Like I said, rich Punisher, only he doesn't have a family to avenge, or anybody as far as I can tell. But, uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it, that's basically the, the that's the end of Tim Curry, and then he fights with uh, Shao Kahn and uh, uh, sorry, what's his name? That's a Mortal Kombat again. <laughs> yeah, I just keep thinking of Shao. Uh, uh, sh- something. She won. She won. We can just call him Genghis Khan because yeah, he's he is very Genghis. The descendant, I guess. <laughs> but uh, nobody told Shiwan Khan that uh, the that Genghis Khan's DNA ended up in like a third of the world. So this guy's yep. not at all the last descendant of Genghis Khan. St- just stand outside in a crowded street and point, and you'll likely point to get a descendant of Genghis Khan. Um, so they have a fight. Shadow ends up like two fisting his guns. He slides down a chute into the room of requirement, which is full of chandeliers. <laughs> and I went, oh no, wait, it's a Russell Mulcahy film. So we're going to get a lot of shattered glass at this point. Mm. And true to form, loads yes, of mirrors did. shatter. But and like it was I... supposed to be more too. Oh yeah, not for like an earthquake that hit the set. That's not <laughs> a lie. Like th- this was supposed to be this long, drawn out mirror sequence. Uh, where they just play these mind games with each other, and uh, that didn't happen. You had, fortunately, it, it was shortened, which I, I feel like we got enough mirrors in this movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't think that ending felt a little rushed. So when I found out that they had more planned, it made a lot more sense. They're like, well, the set's destroyed, so I guess just end it. See, I don't get the whole I am just like you mirror scenario when the villain is technically right. We both make men kill themselves for our own amusement. The shadow doesn't have moral high ground to stand on and go, there's a difference between you and I. Uh, actually, no, I, I can't think of a single difference, so I'm just going to kill you now. <laughs> I still don't understand how the shadow didn't fight a whole bunch of henchmen. Like, there, there's the closest, I suppose, yeah. is those Mongols who attack him, and then he just tosses them out over the balcony repeatedly. Mm. And it's like, not a very long yeah. fight. Yeah, remember yeah, when I said I'd let a- you go? I lied. <laughs> Also, there's did- literally a whole scene of Shuan Khan like gathering his henchmen, like they're all circled around him, like yeah, fists in the air with their swords. And what happened to all those? It people? May, I don't know. It makes me think of Samurai Cop. 
Like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> hey, wait a, a minute. Bunch of henchmen that are all cookie cutter. Yeah, he yeah. just throws them. Like, hey, yeah. wait a minute. Luckily, yeah. this film didn't have a literal pornography scene in the middle of it. Oh, God. While yeah. still being no, no, marketed to, to family audiences. It is not a family film as well. It doesn't no, have any no. kind of... I hasten to use the term family values. I, I've, I've never used that in this show at all. But if you took your family to see this, mo- everyone would get really uncomfortable in 1994. Oh, yeah. Bored. I mean, the mask is Bored. pretty on the I was going to say, and bored. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a disaster. But like I said at the very beginning, the way he beats Khan is... He, he makes a, like, after Khan tries to stab him in the neck with this telepathic knife, telekinetic knife, he's like, I killed your master. Ha ha ha. Then, after a while of wrestling with this knife, Lamont goes just like, no, nah, I got it. And then he figures out how to use the knife and then stabs Khan with it. And then when they're in this mirror smashing session, he picks up a giant bit of mirror and throws it directly into Khan's forehead who pretty much does like a sort of a turn to camera, the way that Stephen Dorff does in Blade. You know, that, that, that mm. kind of, some some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. And then he, <laughs> he gets the shot in his head. But then we cut to the, the booby hatch. And in this uh, lunatic asylum, Khan's like trying to hypnotize the orderly. And then the orderly laughs at him and goes, you fucking idiot, you don't have any powers. And then we cut to a wider shot. And Khan has this giant head scar and like loads of his hair shaved he's been lobotomized and yep. that's that's what our hero's done and he says no i'm really shao khan and, and then they go no it's all right we only cut out the part of your brain that nobody uses uh, aka the telepathic bit and then <laughs> khan's sort of shouting i'm i'm the descendant of genghis khan but he, because he's in a lunatic asylum everyone's going and i'm napoleon and, and I'm, I'm spartacus yeah i'm spartacus yeah and that's supposed to be i'm a brian gag. so is my wife so the gag is <laughs> the severely mentally disturbed boom boom chish yep, also yep. lobotomy like our <laughs> hero and our movie ladies and gentlemen and then that's that's it at the end he just you know he, he's dating penelope ann miller and she's like well you know when will you know when you need me and, and he's like I'll know, credits. Because <laughs> the shadow knows. <sighs> Cause, yeah, because that's it. Who who knows what evil dwells in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. So effectively, he is a reformed villain. He's just not yep. very reformed. <laughs> I'll find you again when you're useful to me. Yeah. Pretty Good. much. <laughs> Peter Boyle, I need my steak cut up for me. <laughs> but, okay, so... I was going to ask, what does the villain want? But again, like I said, it just seems to be blowing everything up and, and I think yeah. just tormenting the shadow, maybe? I think well, he I... just wants control. He wants to be the better version of what the shadow is. Right. So like... there's a point where the, he comes and meets the shadow in the beginning and mm-hmm. is like, hey, let's join up and we'll take over the world. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he proposed to him. He wants to be Genghis Khan. He wants to have a partner oh, and right. just kind of like rampage the world. Yeah. Yeah, I think his his goal was just like I am powerful and I'm he's he's almost strangely embracing the new age, you know, like mm. he's mentioning he has a taste for American uh bourbon or something, whatever that line was and he gets a haircut, he's wearing a suit, you know, I I think I think of him as this character where he just lives throughout time and just adapts and wants to sort of relish in it. So he, 
he's he's found this other character, Cranston, and they make the connection of him being descended from some other well-known hypnotist or, you know, more powerful, whatever. Mm. And he almost kind of admires him in a weird way and is trying to, I guess, turn him over to his side. It's like, yeah, we could rule the world like this, you know? Come over Just to live the dark side. Pretty Mister, much. I'm already there. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I thought the entrance of this villain was actually really cool mm-hmm. in the, the sarcophagus thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I later come to find out that, oh, no, he's not being, like, resurrected from the dead or anything. He literally just, like, jumped in a sarcophagus <laughs> and, like, trans- just so transported it over and then just opened it back up. And it's like, hey, I'm I just, here. I hate right. to fly coach so much. So he's yeah. just, a, is he a guy who was born 40 years beforehand or is he an immortal? No, yeah, no, he's, he's just, like, he's he's just like a, a recently current born descendant. Guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> he just realized that I he had the power. Understand. I don't like, that understand. Just have him be Both an silly undead. and stupid. That's why. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but the, with the security guard who finds this sarcophagus, it's got these big snapping like <gasps> traps, and they're going snap open, snap snap, snap snap snap, and he's like trying to shut them with his hand, and they look yeah. really <laughs> like it's like get your hands away from that thing. <laughs> There, there is so much like unintentional comedy in this movie that goes on for far too long. Oh, yeah. Like whether it be like people just shooting their Tommy gun, Tommy guns for like way too long. Mm. Like that, that first scene when it opens on that character just shooting his Tommy gun on the bridge. Oh, I was like, God. where else are yeah. you going to shoot your Tommy gun down at well, the lake? And then there's this one. That- <laughs> they shot the lights. They shot the floor, and then they shot their own car. Like yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> oh, you got him. And it's <laughs> so similar to this, like the locks snapping open and shut. I'm like. This is honestly hilarious, but they do not intend it. It's, just, it's gone on for like 30 yeah. seconds. It's supposed, it's to, supposed be amazing, to be amazing, but it's not. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so so to our diligent and well-researched guests, um, because like, let's let you do your thing for, uh, and, and, and you tell us what the hell actually happened here. Because the special features on our DVD were play, scenes, and setup. And those features are not very special. And we figured, nope. let's just let these folks to actually like do the research <laughs> and tell us what went wrong. Believe it or not, it was a lot harder to find the behind the scenes and any sort of, you know, backstory to this. I believe it. It, it, it took me a while to even find anything. I, I think there was another guy that did a video. He did a lot of the, the heavy lifting. So, okay. I mean, it, it, it was... They had a lot planned. We'll have to credit them. Uh, do you, you don't know off the top of your head who it was? No. No, I don't. We'll, we'll have to, <laughs> Heavily we'll, researched. We'll, we'll give you that info. If, yeah, if you said that, I will insert a thing that <laughs> we'll says to, that points folks yeah. towards that video. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, it seems like they definitely had a plan for a long-term franchise with this. They had um, a whole video game already made that was coming out on... The uh, Super Nintendo and well, well, Sega. If you, if you go even further back, this the only reason this movie exists is because of Batman, mm. essentially. Like the this the new resurgence of comic book movies coming out was the main inspiration for bringing the shadow to the screen. Where it was like, oh well, Batman's super successful. You know what was the original Batman? The shadow. Yeah. Uh, so we have to bring that to audiences. And of course, they'll know exactly what the shadow is. Uh, but that that's thats really all it was. It, it was just a money-based, like, we get, we have to monetize superheroes right now. Mm-hmm. And that's literally the only reason the shadow exists. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that's 1993 iteration. Yeah. Yeah. 
But continue, David. No, I mean, that, it just seems like that's the start of it. They would have milked it as long as they could have if they made any money off of it, which they did expect to. So, like I said, they, they had you know uh, a video game they made uh, for Super Nintendo and Sega that was already finished. It was completed. They had a music video. They had uh, action figures. There was merchandise. All sorts of merchandise. And they were planning on releasing a lot of that right after the movie. And then when they saw the box office, they're like, cancel it, kill it, kill it, kill it. Well, they had so many opportunities for this to actually be good. Like you had Sam Raimi, who had Evil Dead under his belt as a potential director on this. And and he was shut down. And they actually managed to secure the writer, David Kep, who um, Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park was the following year or if not. No, one. Yeah, no, 93. It was one year before 93, one year before. Uh, So there's actually they were they assembled a load of talent behind this movie and and just judging by that it should have been it, it seemed like a surefire hit yeah uh, but what they did not anticipate were was the the competition that year uh, there were some huge heavy hitters that happened to hit this summer like mm. the first it was the Lion King they were dealing with the second weekend of, of Lion King which is obviously a massive hit. And, and the uh, mask that you mentioned earlier, just like for that to come right. out at the same time and for it to basically just be a funny, way better version of a parody noir comic yes. book yes. film. But just and like it also starred Jim Carrey. And this was, if you folks recall, the year of Jim Carrey. So you had oh, yeah. uh, trans hating Ace Ventura pet detective. You had this, uh, sorry, the mask. And you had Dumb and Dumber later on in that year. So it was it was Carrie's year of hate. A monumental year for Carrie, for sure. Yeah. Uh, they also had the fourth weekend of Speed to contend with, which was kind of an unexpected massive hit mm-hmm. uh, for action cinema. Uh, and then the next week, like, like this movie actually didn't open horribly. I think it did something like 11 or 12 million at the box office. A common misconception with the shadow is that it's not actually a colossal bomb. It was more just like this this muted, like okay, that l- let's just sweep that thing under the rug. Like it, it, people went to see this movie. It had a huge marketing campaign. There was actually, there was hope that this would spawn its own kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark slash Batman franchise. Just this, like it, it seemed kind of like this surefire hit. They, they just did not anticipate the the competition and uh, Raiders of yeah. the Lost Ark is a really fantastically well made film and Batman's yes. pretty excellent too it's it's abidingly good yeah, they, they, ha- they had to know this was a badly made film I like Highlander a lot but mm-hmm. that even like, Highlander's way better than this it's unfortunately this director's mm-hmm. only good movie I think I like, agree it, <laughs> yeah. I, I I am one of the few to kind of make an argument for Resident Evil Extinction because I just like the pulpy B movie action in that movie. Reese makes us watch those kind of movies a lot. But that that's I'm literally the only one in the planet that will say that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, after it was the Highlander got him this this uh, job yeah. to work on. The but he just finished Highlander two, and the studio completely well listen to our show on Highlander two is, and I'm sure I'm sure you folks are going to tackle the Highlander two at some point. And just oh, in terms oh of yeah. It, it it is uh, stratus. Stratospherically disastrous filmmaking of a similar kind. <laughs> yeah, it's like, was this the same person who directed this? And it, and it is. It is, and you like, can tell it is because there are three quickenings in this film. Yeah, there's a lot of quickenings <laughs> going on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, after a fairly subpar opening weekend, it, it wasn't like a terrible opening. Hmm. 
but it was one that they were kind of hoping, oh, you know, maybe it'll leg it out. But critics were very lukewarm on it. Audiences were lukewarm. Rightly so. Uh, it wasn't like it wasn't completely raked over the coals by everyone. It, like it, it did a, better than you would think. And watching it, and I looked up the reviews, it does surprise me a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it is yeah, thirty five percent Rotten Tomatoes, something like six point one on IMDb. So very like mixed. Yeah. Across you would expect people to walk out and go, oh, that stunk. <laughs> yeah, but apparently but I mean, they were yeah. bored in ninety four. <laughs> <laughs> Three Jim yeah. Carrey movies. Obviously, they were bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, the the final death knell for this one was uh, Forrest Gump releasing the next weekend, and then no. True Lies releasing the weekend after that, uh, just completely steamrolling it. Yeah. Uh, afterwards, though, if we're, we're talking like its franchise potential, there was actual talk of continuing this thing because it had strong like home video. Uh, like rentals and and, uh, DVD purchases or VHS, I guess, at the time. They were going to make some sort of direct-to-DVD sequel to this, but it ultimately got shut down because of the the, uh, expenses of Mm. bringing, putting together a a production that takes place at this time period and not being able to secure the original actors and all that. So that's kind of of how the shadow ended, unfortunately. (laughs) Do you (laughs) want to know what's really frustrating? Uh, this one came out, what, summer of 94, yeah? Yeah. Uh, December 25th, 1993, so six months earlier. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. A genuinely excellent, abidingly good animated noir. Mm-hmm. Where they basically just did everything good that this could have been in a Batman film that nobody went to see. It cost $6 million. It made $5.8 million. Warner Brothers did not get behind it. Like, that means that The Shadow still made something like six times as much as this. Yeah. And I actually did the math. So this movie was, if not for the colossally high budget for this movie, it could have been... A box office success. Yeah. So it cost forty million, which inflated to today's dollars is seventy-one million, and it had a box office total worldwide of forty-eight million at the time, which inflates to eighty-five million. Hmm. That's basically the equivalent of a modern day like John Wick. Yeah. So people saw this movie. It was just undeservingly. <laughs> I know. It, 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 it's not. It, it's another thing I want to stress. It's just not the the huge bomb that it's looked back on, like. I feel like this is a forgotten movie that nobody really talks about. Like, I barely knew this thing existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was honestly kind of shocked to to find out that it actually made a degree of money. It, it, I mean, it, it took a loss in the end, but it was there. Some poor souls went to the theater and saw this movie. <laughs> Can anyone think of any superhero in any film ever that's actually worse than this guy? I am racking my brains. Uh... I, I, I feel like I could I could think of some maybe oh, oh, yeah. I got one yeah what? Captain America 1990 yeah uh, yeah the one who's like oh one. I feel sick whoop, 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 I, and then he steals your car <laughs> I love it no I laugh my ass off when that, like that, no that movie is better because it just gives me a, a hey, good time Mr President <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah you know what it so is good. more enjoyable to watch I'll give you that I think okay, honestly, I'll, I'll... Ghost Rider. Spirits of Vengeance, Nick Cage is just sleepwalking through that film and doesn't care. But there is that one scene where he goes completely off the rails and makes one actor feel really uncomfortable. He's like, I'm going to let this ghost out. It's screaming at the door. 
That at least shows that he has a moral standing on this one. Like, he wants to punish evil really badly. Let me play you some of Jerry Goldsmith's score here. He gave it a lot of welly. It's not like the shadow lacks in full-bodied orchestration. The soundtrack is not the problem with the shadow. And I miss Jerry Goldsmith. question for uh you two mm -hmm. that were maybe doing different research than i was well I i'm talking to reese and david okay. a little bit here i was i happened to watch a little uh interview with some of the actors from this film and part of my instincts want to say the reason it was so bad was because i i don't know i have a feeling that alec baldwin was pulling the star card here and there uh, to make you certain can't talk changes to me like for that. his character. I'm Alec Baldwin. The way he would speak in the interview, he was saying things like, oh yeah, I was really getting into this shadow character. And then he I would decide, I would decide that, oh, the shadow would say this. And then the writers would ask me like, oh, why, why do you think you should? And he's like, well, it's what the shadow would say. I just, oh man, it, it gave me uh, so many red flags just listening to that What's interview. What's so funny about that is when I when I actually look at his performance, it's like, yeah, that's Al Alec Baldwin. Mm -hmm. like, I I'm not like... <laughs> it's not really any other shade of Alec Baldwin. He's it's just snoozing like, through it. Yeah. <laughs> 50 uh, shades of Alec Baldwin. If if he's actually not that the... If he, if he doesn't act like... Um, Adam in Beetlejuice, then that's the good performance. Like, right. he convinced me that he was a decent guy in that film. Yep. And he, he's good in Hunt for Red October, too, I, oh, yeah. I, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, he's... I enjoy him a lot in 30 Rock. Like, he was, he was, I was extremely about to say, entertaining for years. This feels more like the kind of person that uh, Jack McDonough? McDonaghy. Donaghy. Yeah. In 30 Rock is parodying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say, like, this being kind of... I, I see this movie as the death knell for Alec Baldwin leading man. Uh, I do think he he does a much better job as a character actor. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, from Mission Impossible to, you know, whatever else we've seen him. And I can't think of anything off the top there, of my he's head. He's good at yeah. support, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's he's not really a strong central role. There's he's not good, much to get behind. Yeah, he's a good, you know, side dish. He's like the good <laughs> mashed nice potatoes. He's mac and cheese. You know? 
he can, but he does not. I, I don't think he leads this movie effectively. And it, there's just not enough there. It's uh, yeah, just Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I, I would say if if we were taking a vote, I would think he would be a strong factor in why this didn't succeed. I don't mm. think he's a leading presence the way someone else would yeah. take this Because he was character. in a lot of successful movies, but when you think about those movies, those movies weren't sold on the Alec Baldwin performance. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he might be in a semi-lead role. Right. Yeah, it was but... Come for the Submarine and Sean Connery stay for Alec Baldwin. Right, Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, like, if you Jack want. Lemmon. <laughs> I can't remember now. What, what are you saying? Man, there was, a, there was a movie I really liked him in. I think it was the late 80s or early 90s as well where... It's all about, you know, car salesmen. You know, oh, uh, he... um, Glengarry Glen Ross. It's real estate, not cars. But the same macho posturing shark tank. Yeah, Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, he was really good sure. in that one. You gotta have brass balls. <laughs> but he's up against Jack Lemmon, just exactly. giving us a performance yeah. for the ages, like he's, though. That's the thing. He's always paired with someone who mm-hmm. is outshining him. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. So, sorry, Alec Baldwin. In this case, it's <laughs> it's Tim Curry going, nah! All right. You know what nobody outdoes him on? Donald Trump. Oh, no. Yeah. I wasn't going to mention Don Don there uh, because I'm hoping that in 2021 we can not spend the, the, the same, like, five years we've been talking about him every show. But there is a correlation. And um, it's because he played... Donald Trump in Saturday Night Live. And it's kind of a dumb version of the character he played in Glengarry Glen Ross, which he plays a baby version of in The Boss Baby. Also, everything that he seems to say is the sort of thing that Zap Brannigan would say. Zap Brannigan. Billy West, when Trump first became president and it was still funny to laugh at him, just like did that thing on Twitter where he read a bunch of lines in Zap Brannigan's voice and he sort of read a bunch of Trump quotes. My fingers are long and beautiful. That's been well documented, along with other various parts of my body. My Twitter has become so powerful that I can actually make my enemies tell the truth. The concept of global warming was created by the Chinese. Which basically means that Trump, Zap Brannigan, and Lamont Cranston are interchangeable. Our hero, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And also, here's the thing. The movie doesn't think he's a dick. The movie doesn't criticise Lamont Cranston. It's like, this guy's exciting, right? And all the audience shake their heads. We love rich dudes who spend all their time at clubs leching over the singers, don't we? No, no, we do not. I think the one line in this movie that just came out of nowhere and made me laugh uproariously, and it's just so weirdly innocuous, he's having lunch or dinner again with, uh, uh, there's a comedian, this old guy. Jonathan Winter? That's the guy. That guy? And Jonathan Winter says, waiter, more chives, please. And I went, <laughs> said no one ever who ever asked for more chives that's such a weird thing to ask for that was one of those things where I saw um, him in this movie and I was just like what is he doing here like why why is he here the only he gets place more he's screen time than Khan. is sitting in that chair in the club he's just always there like I I don't he I don't reminded understand me what of that doing. lady from the room who's like and I have breast cancer. Like, and then they yes. move on. Yeah, well, it's on. confirmed. Like, that was his character. <laughs> oh. 
We did a really great show on the room. If you folks ever want to track that oh, one down I and check it out, that, that like oh, we were like we can't make the room funny. Two and a half hours later, we had really <laughs> plumbed because that one we we made it about the book, the Disaster Artist. Before the Disaster Artist came out, we sort of like we went into the actual making of. So it's actually really up your guys' uh, street. Oh yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was some fun times podcasting. Did you guys uh, drink scotchka while you were doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, giant glasses full. Is there anywhere we can get through? Okay, so I've never drunk before, but Scotchka—that sounds right. Up my alley. <laughs> it's the best one to start with. So, uh, Irina, like we said before, um, and, and also as you guys can also sort of chip in with other stuff regarding the production if it feels sure. uh, relevant. But you actually sought out the—I uh, was almost going the Flash there—the Shadow Radio yeah. shows and actually yeah. did some delving. So, what's it like to, to listen to now in 2021? Oh, it's so bizarre, but in a kind of fun, um, in a fun way, just listening to something so retro. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's very hard to hear. Is it very hear, kind of tune obviously. in next week, folks? Is that? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Ah. And then there's I'm gonna a lot of And something I had uh, looked up to, and uh, the reason they would have him laugh so much mm-hmm. uh, with the character, they didn't have enough time in the show to actually explain. Uh, how he was sneaking around and finding these criminals. He's a little more of a detective crime fighter. Right. So instead, they w- they came up with this loophole where they decided, oh, he's just um, invisible, essentially. He clouds people's minds and they can't see him. So for the radio to un- show to the audience that he's in the room, he would just laugh. Like and the Phantom of the Opera. Ominous presence. Yep. Like, oh, he's here now. And, he's here. Yeah, and for a, a radio broadcast, it makes sense. Like these were only 30 minute episodes, so they had to like cut to the chase. So everyone, the the baddies would be like, Oh, where is he? Who is that? And he would just be this weird, um, omnipotent presence. And mm. it's um that that's that's one of the reasons this movie is so strange to watch because the first time I saw it I just didn't understand what was happening. I mm. thought it was really campy, but I didn't know why it was being campy. Like for the most part you can enjoy a campy film and because it is kind of self-aware, but this feels like they're just kind of throwing in those bits from old radio broadcasts mm. and it doesn't translate very mm. well. Also the but, shadow yeah. the shadow powers are supposed to achieve one specific thing, which is that he can zip in and out of any scenario right. where there is a shadow. He mm. can travel right. around within the actual shadow. I'm over here, of my New friends. York City. Or is it over here? <laughs> and that's a very Batman thing, obviously. But the here. one, <gasps> the one time he actually utilizes this, it proves to be more of a hindrance yeah, than a help. He gets caught. Right? Because someone exactly. throws knives at a shadow and instead of simply being able to melt into another shadow like you would expect, those knives right. actually pin him in place. Oh, he's like yeah. a, he's a total buffoon when it comes to like his use of his superpower. It's, yeah. it's straight up just a gimmick in this movie. It's not, it's not even useful. He, mm. he just likes to do it. For fun, he could honestly but do it, everything without anything supernatural whatsoever, yeah. and he doesn't need the hypnotism. Why either. is he a shadow? Well, we couldn't be asked to design a whole costume. Just hide in the shadows, have guns, and intimidate them that way using speakers, the, if you want. The most hilarious scene for me is when they they're they're panning the flashlight across the room, mm-hmm. and they catch his shadow on the like, wall, oh. and he's like, he doesn't think to like get out of the way. He's like, let me strike a pose real quick, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Oh, <laughs> 
bunny rabbit. It reminds me of the uh, Dracula dead and loving it. Like his shadow yeah. is just doing these like ridiculous things in the background. Yeah. Oh, you know, like <laughs> and the, it oh, there like it is. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Now he's Daffy Duck. It, immediately yep. after that bit, I forgot about this. Genk Khan jumps out of this, this skyscraper and lands in a little sidecar on a motorbike and then gets driven off. That man has no dignity. You can't get in a sidecar and be driven away by a henchman and still be the big bad villain. He looks like, no. he's so silly as he does that. Imagine, I love sidecars, but I agree. Imagine if Hans Gruber jumped into a sidecar piloted by Carl and was like, go on to the station. And he's like, <laughs> and just drove off on a fucking 1930s bike. I, I can see it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, but that's that's why it's funny in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade because effectively Henry Senior is in the sidecar and they've got the kind of like he's like I'm, I brought my dad and like but they've taken the dignity away a little bit and it's kind of fun and funny. You can't also be intimidating in it. Imagine like Silver in uh, Skyfall. So uh, Javier Bardem gets into a little sidecar and goes, "I'm going to come back soon," and then just sort of drives <laughs> off. No, it not, it would not work. No. Oh no, I know the scene Does in Avengers where um, Harry Dean Stanton gives Bruce his bike. If that was a bike with a sidecar and Harry Dean Stanton actually had to drive him to New York, well, be the with the Hulk sat in the sidecar. <laughs> I love it. You know, this would be a hell of a lot easier if you were Dr. Banner at this point. You just drag it along the ground. I mean, technically, Loki does kind of get into a sidecar in that film. Like, he's flying along on that chariot, and that's when yeah. Hawkeye fires a arrow at him, and then he catches it and goes, ha ha, and then it explodes. But Loki, the secret of that villain was, take away his dignity, it's really funny. That way the Hulk gets to puny god him. But that's not what this villain was doing. They were trying to make him more like Hans Gruber, and it didn't mm -hmm. work. The Shadow just didn't have a strong enough personality in pop culture either. Mm -hmm. Like, I know he was popular, but he was kind of thrown around to a lot of different comic books later. Mm. So it, it started as basically, it. this was sort of a small character from uh, pulp magazines that suddenly became popularized in the early 30s. And then they decided to turn it into a radio broadcast. And then following that, there were a bunch of comic strips. And then over time, it was passed around. And yeah, in magazines. And it was passed around to different um, comic book uh, companies. So mm. DC sorry, had it for there, a while. There's actually full-on feature films of yeah, The Shadow, too. There are. The 30s through 50s, I feel like. So DC had their hands in it and Dark Horse did after mm. that. But it, it just didn't feel like anyone gave him much more of a personality than sort of what he was before. There was one like really atrocious take on it where he was completely different. He had like some kind of green suit and they turned him into this really goofy kind like of character. <laughs> yeah, almost. It sounded kind of like that. And so that was a huge failure comic book wise and they decided to drop it but i don't think anyone's actually tried to adapt it for a modern audience like I, it seems like this film is trying to kind of recreate that 1930s feel like a little bit of that noir but they don't like the mask the mask has a hard line between this is modern and then this moment when he wears the mask all bets are off, you know, mm. like you can just enjoy the fancifulness. But this film just kind of 
blends it in a way that is uh, too harsh. So he doesn't really have a strong identity for anyone to latch on to. Yeah. And it's also like, um, if you remember, Keaton's performance in the original Batman was unhinged and kind of hypnotic. Mm-hmm. He had, he had mm-hmm. stuff going on there. Right. You, you cannot underestimate the Joker. Like, Batman's villains have always been fucking fascinating in the, in the films and uh, in often overshadowing uh, the man himself. Khan, while he's more interesting than the Shadow, he's not much more interesting, and the mm-hmm. Shadow is boring. Right. The, I, I think one of the, the distinctions, too, between Keaton's Batman and uh, Baldwin's Shadow mm. is uh, Keaton still seems, like, hungry as a performer yeah. right, as, as Batman and Bruce Wayne. Uh, the Shadow, though, Alec Baldwin just seems a little too comfortable, like he's... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to coast through this thing. Like right. It's, I got the like money he, up he just front. thinks he exudes this charm that's... I, it, some of it carries through, but it's it's just not all there for me. He's enjoying the high life a little too much. Yeah. Like, uh, we really yeah. do believe you're this worthless billionaire. Yeah. When, you, when I film these scenes in the club, you got to get me actual martinis. Yeah. I want to drink it for real. Method, yeah. Out of that water. Yeah. yeah. So, um, honestly, I hadn't expected to ask this question, but if you Mm -hmm. were going to adapt this now, how would we do the shadow? Would we keep anything of this? Because it feels like we'd transplant and transmute so much of it that it it may as well not even... We may as well not pay for the shadow license. I think Mm -hmm. you'd be be barking up a very, very Batman-shaped tree at this point. Batman has become so embedded in the movie landscape that if you did the shadow now, it would basically scream, we wanted to do Batman, we couldn't afford the license. Mm. So I I would... (sighs) For me personally, I was actually thinking about this and I was trying to imagine the movie I would want to see and almost taking a, again, it's going to be sort of Christopher Nolan-like, but not so much his Batman stuff, Mm -hmm. more like a kind of a toned down Inception Mm. where they focus a little more on the hypnotism aspect and make more of a mind-bending film where it's a little more about detective work than it is outright superhero crime Mm. fighting. I would actually really enjoy something like that. It would be a little more subtle, and I think that's what The Shadow needs. It needs subtlety. I I would cast our main guy as a... I'd I'd get Josh Brolin in there. Oh, Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin could be pretty Even though he failed as a... Who is it? Another gunslinger. Western. Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex. Mm -hmm. Not good in that, but I feel like you'd make a a, a wiser decision, you know, here. Yeah. I don't know. I, I could see him donning the fedora. He's yeah. he's been in a number of roles where he's he's proven he can pull that off. Mm. I would love to see a, a thriller, a shadow thriller. So would you take it serious? Like I, I would go like a L.A. Confidential type of direction. Yeah, Ooh, keep like, it period. Yeah. Yes. That would give I, I, it some I, identity actually. If you made it yeah. modern and now, you'd you'd pretty much be one of those movies like Fan Four Stick that was chasing Nolan's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. coattails. Mm. No, I yeah. think the only hope of distinguishing this from things that have already been done is mm. is keeping it. Period. Like yeah. staking yeah. its claim to that. Because if you modernize this, I mean, I th- I think V for Vendetta kind of already did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I it's love that movie. it is kind of the modern version of like V. The, mm-hmm. the movie's completely different, but mm. V the character is very. He's like this waxing yeah. poetic type of vigilante yeah. who is 
in and out Excellent. of the shadows. Yeah. Well, that, Excellent. But he has a, a moral code and something right. he very definitely wants to do. Yeah, and this so, char- but this character is written to have a moral code. They just do not yeah. exemplify yeah. it well here at all. They don't. They don't have a universal message that everyone would understand here. It's just mm. we're we're having obnoxious fun. Yeah. Question mark. Obnoxious like, I don't... fun. That's the box quote. <laughs> <laughs> the shadow. Obnoxious fun for the whole family. This made me think of two Marvel films. Um, it made me think of uh, Iron Man three because of the way they handled the Mandarin, or rather, they they were like, "We are not going to do the Yellow Peril." Here's our version of the Mandarin. And a lot of fans didn't like that. I find that right. one of the best parts of the movie. But yeah. if you think of Doctor Strange, that is like that is how you could feasibly do. Uh, the shadow now but yep. i feel like they've because the movie and because the whole culture behind the shadow has taken and taken and taken from asia you need an asian lead so mm-hmm. if I, either period or now i kind of like the idea of what you're saying with period henry golding from crazy rich oh, asians entirely yeah. convincing and yeah, if you we're just going to keep the tibetan yeah for sure if we're keeping the tibetan uh, opium farm. Yes. We... <laughs> but I haven't, like, I could imagine him playing a character who is just this cavalier shit at the beginning and then mm-hmm. actually goes through, oh my God, I'm terrible. And, like, the yeah. whole, like, the, the, the end of the first act is him realizing what just a, what a terrible person he's been, uh, Iron Man, effectively, and then just rebuilding himself with these new abilities and deciding, you know what I'm actually going to do? And then taking that to. America, and I feel like you. Uh, the ins- I love the Inception idea, which clearly so did Doctor Strange, because right. they're totally riffing on the on the oh, yeah. that. Because you've got the the noirish stylings, you could make it sort of stylized and serious, not self serious. Mm-hmm. So it's got that you know you know how the Dark Knight had that dry sense of humor, and uh, as did Batman Begins. Right. Actually. Yeah. Right. You could, you could totally do that, and uh, I think ultimately just getting a really great Asian hero. The fact that that could stem from this and go, we finally fixed it, would yeah, be, be a way forwards, you know? And of course, now that we have Shang-Chi on the way, I am hoping that a ton of Asian heroes follow. Especially some who don't know how to do martial arts. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I would love to see a film hmm. made, like an actual good film made and, and for Henry this Henry Golding's really due for like a leading man oh, yeah. type performance. Like, mm-hmm. if they got all... like. He is next in line, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. Henry Golding is in Snake Eyes, but the trailer looked terrible. It's the director of R.I.P.D. and the Divergent series Insurgent and Allegiant and the writer of Pooh's Heffalump movie. One thing to get rid of, maybe, would just be the guns, because you'll notice if you look at the Marvel films, they kind of downplay the whole handguns and right. rifles and stuff, and people have more laser guns and fighting sticks and laser swords and stuff, and blasters. Magic. And, you know, mm-hmm. and with magic, a Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, but ultimately since you've got this guy with shadow powers, just have him be able to sort of jump in and out of any dark shadow and just clobber dudes from the left and the right. Absolutely, and this is why he operates well in yeah. New York. Lots of buildings, even when the strong sunshine mm-hmm. overhead, you've got shadows all over the place. Mm-hmm. Stick him in Arizona, he's fucked. Yeah. But also, like, <laughs> he doesn't have to be a martial artist like the idea of him being quite handy but not necessarily obviously doing kung fu that kind of upsets the the apple car on the the stereotype on that too right i'll need to find a way to distinguish him at least artistically from nightcrawler too who i feel like has a lot of those fade in fade out type 
action sequences. Uh, yeah, sort of operating in the shadows and yeah. you know sucker punching people. Have his uh, <laughs> villains figure out that he needs shadows and like have uh, the the whole finale sequence be in this incredibly brightly lit place, and he has to yeah. run around smashing all the lights so that he can then move. Yeah, all the bad guys yes. start wearing pit helmets. Hmm. So yeah, and, and also keep, yeah, keep the mirrors he, out. He needs to go be brought down low, and he needs to fight his mm-hmm. way back up from that. And ultimately, right. yeah, it needs to be a decent story before anything else. Because if we haven't got that, then it, it doesn't matter what effects you pin to it and what action you you slap on it. It's just going to be another effects reel, right? Yeah, and you need they need to take out the fact that he is just an absolute villain at the beginning of this like don't murder your henchmen yeah uh, on screen uh it's that just it's such a almost irredeemable yeah action it's like, it's you, gloating you like you can have him be a cocky shit who just doesn't like turns a blind eye to suffering yeah. until he can't anymore that's way more mm-hmm. that's way more relatable because we can it's way too easy in the modern world to just turn a blind eye to suffering and when you eventually take it on board it's taking on a huge weight maybe if you it's have not it. necessarily easy yeah if you have him as a, a younger man then that gives you an opportunity to play it where maybe his dad is the one who was um running all the mm. crime syndicates and he was just you know living off the profits and enjoying mm. his luxurious life and then just one day realized he didn't want to be a part of this anymore or asian female lead aquafina <laughs> oh hell yeah make it <laughs> way it funnier that way as well yeah, you can now that would be a different com- direction. Yeah, that'd be very different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if Michelle Yeoh was just like slightly younger, I would totally go for her oh. as like a, uh, a leading presence in one of these movies. She's wonderful. Yeah. So many movies that she was in that she was not used to her best. We feel, we keep watching mm-hmm. like martial arts films like Jackie uh, Jackie Chan three uh, Super Cop. Uh, Police Story 3, and it's like, just, here's Michelle Yeoh, and that's about all you get. It's it's ridiculous. Weirdly, we recorded this before I knew that Aquafina and Michelle Yeoh are both in Shang-Chi. Really looking forward to that one. Okay, any more on the shadow, or can we get the hell out of here on this one? Uh, I'll I'll make one last comment. Okay. Just for those two audience members that like this movie, (laughs) I kind of see you. I don't like this movie. There's definitely issues with it, but I kind of had an okay time with it once I was a- able to completely desensitize myself from the uh, the optics of the film and uh, a lot of the moral quandaries that I had mm. to jump over. Uh, I, I can't, for for all of its the pulpy pulpiness of the film, I, I, I enjoyed aspects of it. So I there see you two moments. out there. You're I not alone. You it had moments where you could see a little bit of the artistic influence but and i do think that there were people who cared about making a good movie behind this thing uh i i also see you guys (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the the set designers the costumers oh yeah Uh, taylor dane making original sin and just really getting into it at the end that piece of music (laughs) we're gonna play out on oh yeah and we get to see a nice little um hint at you know the end of the movie in the music video Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They actually show them killing like the main villain Brilliant. in the music video. Yeah, uh, <sighs> you do realize it's supposed to be promotion, not like part of the. <laughs> like th- this is uh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like having a um the bat dance music video with uh, Prince showing the Joker falling to his death. Oh my god. <laughs> Score. 
School of Movies is kept alive by you folks supporting us on Patreon. Thank you all very, very much, as per usual. We would not be here saying this without you. And as is customary, our $15 sponsors get a shout-out every week, so I'll just say a big thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. If you haven't yet, come on over to firesidealliance.com to check out a raft of amazing podcasts who have all assembled their communities in one Discord. Come say hi and make some new friends. Suicide was mentioned over and over again in this episode in a way that's creepy and uncomfortable, and that's intentional. The film made me feel that. And, you know, while we laughed about it, it just, it did leave me feeling cold and very indisposed to this movie. Just this week, a creator named Nier, who lived for Super Nintendo emulation, was driven to take that final step by online harassment that targeted their friends. The kind of people who are behind this harassment, this intentional overload of malice and spite, operate in a way that I don't think most of us as human beings can fathom. Like We can't see what they could possibly gain from that. Which is why The Shadow and his villain doing it for fun have me absolutely convinced this is the worst superhero. Because I can't get my head around that. So, coming up we have an episode on a obscure Generation X teen drama with Christian Slater called Pump Up the Volume, directed by Alan Moyle of uh, Empire Records, which is similarly obscure. Most of you won't have seen it, I urge you to go find it, but even to the majority who won't have, still listen to our episode, there's going to be a lot in it. It touches on suicide but in an infinitely more compassionate way than this film does, and its focus is on our isolation. And while the uh, teenagers in this are connected by pirate radio, it still applies to the messages going out around the internet right now as we are at our most scattered. But coming up in the next few weeks, because I'm now going back to the cinema, we have Black Widow coming very soon. And a whole bunch of quick reviews of new movies on the Patreon. I'll be seeing as much as I can, while staying as safe as I can. We'll be doing Batman the Animated Series, Loki, then Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey. And then we have two mini-series coming up for the middle end of the year that we'll tell you about soon. But yeah, I'm going to go see Fast and the Furious 9 in the cinema this afternoon. It's nice to finally be able to say that. I've had both shots now, which means I'm 90% shielded, but I'm still not taking any chances. I'm going to sit a million miles away from anyone wearing my mask 
in the biggest possible auditorium I can find. See how that pans out. So that film to track down is Pump Up the Volume. I, I feel like we should have you folks on again for some other disastrous movie. Maybe, maybe a yeah, good yes. one. I don't know. Like, yeah, yes. like, give you a chance to talk about something that you, we all enjoy for a change. But uh, yeah. <laughs> These are fun too, though. I like bashing sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 I don't even call this a bashing. I think this uh-huh. is um, like taking something weird out of the past, like examining it under hot lights and going, look at what they did here. And then clipping Look it to what they got away with in 1994. Or pulling, <laughs> pulling out cadavers, essentially. It's like, so what happened to this one? <laughs> and then clipping its ear and releasing it into the wild where it just falls directly in the sea. <laughs> Return to the ocean's shadow from whence you came. Okay, so to our guests, where can folks find your podcast and which ones would you suggest they listen to first? Uh, so our podcast is, again, called Franchise Killer. Uh, you can find us on pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, what helps us the most is that uh, coveted five-star review on Facebook. Uh, not Facebook, uh, Apple. Uh, there you go. But, yeah, pretty much all of your premium social medias were on there. Uh, in terms of our best episodes, David, what, what do you think? Uh, it's It's hard to say because... The numbers don't lie, but the numbers don't match up with what I thought were our best episodes. It's just weird. But um, World War Z apparently is just killing it. I don't. I don't know why. But <laughs> that one's getting around. Uh, I will say like our current. I guess if you could call it a mini series on animated flops is performing really well. So nice. if you want to either listen to our Prince of Egypt episode or our Road to El Dorado episode, those are. Uh, pretty popular right now and we're i'm, I'm happy with how those yeah, came early out. 2000s dark horse animations yeah it's it's mostly like uh dreamworks how they just tried to compete uh compete with disney and mm. just kind of fell on their face even though we did find merit in at least some a of them couple yeah. of their films but yeah those are pretty much the best episodes and to sum up our podcast again we basically select a franchise or a wannabe franchise and basically diagnose uh, what went right and what went wrong with that franchise and why uh, these particular franchises are no longer with us. Uh, so, yeah, we do a we'll break down the movie kind of similar to this podcast. Honestly, yeah, both, that, that's like, why we picked the, this one. I was like, yeah, the, yeah, this is yeah. your thing. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go through the plot, um, kind of break down all of that and then talk about the franchise as a whole and why it failed in the end and mm. whether or not there is a future for it. So, yeah, that's that's the podcast. <laughs> I have enjoyed talking about the intro. potential for like what what could be done with the shadow. What we what we described is so much better than what they did. Oh, I know. So, yeah, I just it, all it takes is is folks in Hollywood to be as as switched on as you guys. So. Oh, yeah. Thank you very very much for coming on. This was an absolute laugh riot. And thanks for inviting us. We we enjoyed every minute of it. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's yeah. out. Christianity had spit into many different areas. Catholicism still has the fire and brimstone. Boom, 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 boom. Row, you bastards. Uh, uh, you know, original sin. What a hellish idea that is. People having to go, Father, bless me for I have sinned. I, I did an original sin. I, I poked a badger with a spoon. <laughs> I've never heard of that one before. Five Hail Marys and two Hello Dollies. All right, thank you. <laughs> Bless me, Father, for I slept with my next-door neighbor's wife. 
Heard it. <laughs> I want an original sin. Oh, I'm terrible, sorry. <laughs> I've been looking for an original sin One with a twist and a bit of a spin And since I've done all the old ones Till they've all been done in Now I'm just looking Then I'm gone with the wind Endlessly searching for an original
Coming out on the edge Moving in for the kill And they'll be hell to pay someday Put it all on the bill Cause we'll always be paying And paying until We're beyond expiration With a license to thrill 